All right. <laughs> this is always the this awkward is the weird bit. bit. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yep. Uh, g'day. Good to see you. I'll help you out. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in. <laughs> okay. And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today I am chatting with TV host and delightful human, Georgie. I feel like you're, I want to say Coglin, but I feel like I always get your, your name is one of those ones that I see and I realise I've only ever called you Georgie, but and I feel like I'm getting it wrong. Coglin? Coglin. Coeglin? Co- yeah, it looks like, you know when there's a G and an H Co- together? Coglin. <laughs> you think, is it silent? Georgie's fine. Colon. Colon. <laughs> No, we don't actually. I think it comes from like Irish, oh, Coglin. Ah, right. Gotcha, so gotcha. Like a Coglin. Okay, you're a Coglin. Well, Georgie, I'm chuffed to have you finally <laughs> I know. on this show. We've been ships in the night. I know, I know. We've been back here and forth for months and months oh, and months. Oh, we're that busy. We, it, it's just crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I am just hanging on by the thinnest of threads, <laughs> but I'm so chuffed to finally have you here. Rachel, I'm in um, fine company because I've been listening to your podcast. You've got these crackerjack people and I've, I've been listening to all their journeys so thank you I feel very honoured to be in their company in I'm company. very glad to have you here because you have a very interesting story of sort of getting in oh no because you're I think you might be the first person I've spoken to Oh, no, Lawrence Mooney had plenty of previous lives before he got into media. But, you know, you started as a teacher and then sort of made your way into here. So this is interesting because it's not like you were Ben Fordham style. I got into Alan Jones's uh, studio as a work experience kid at 15 and then worked my way up. This is a very different journey. So let's go back to the beginning because you did uh, grow up on a sheep farm. Mm -hmm. And when you were little and on that farm, what was your your dream then? What did you want to be when you grew up? I was such a happy kid, had such a great childhood. Oh, that's cool. Pretty crackerjack childhood. Um, So I wasn't one of those kids that knew exactly what they wanted to be. I mean, for God's sake, I still don't know what I want to do. Do any of us. So um, (laughs) I was one of those kids that was just, I was really, really mindful and in the moment when I look back at my younger self on a bike, I'd be singing, running around the farm, jumping on my horse. I was just really present. Mm. And so... I didn't – I remember starting to talk about these careers nights and people saying, we've got a careers night coming up or people even saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think my, my earliest recollection would be, because I loved horses and animals so much, I want to be a vet. Yeah, right. So I was, I was gung-ho on being a vet. Mm. And that combined with – there was always a little bit of uh, flair – theatrical flair in our family. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very lucky, had a beautiful musical family, always exposed to musical theatre, culture, arts from a very young age. So that was a a little seed as well, but that was maybe a dream that I thought wouldn't ever possibly come off. Were your family, in in terms of like having a musical family, what do you mean by that? Were they performers or were they just at-home musicians? Were they... Mum was a beautiful penis, still is a beautiful penist, um, and my cousin was someone who was a leader in terms of musical theatre in our company. So he started a a huge, big musical theatre company that still goes to this day 30 years later. Wow. So I would always be taken to his productions and we wouldn't go once. You know, we'd go to the five flaming shows. (laughs) So as a kid, I just thought that was normal. We'd come up to – mum would take us on three-hour drive from Warrnambool to Melbourne up to see Cats. We'd come up to see Les Mis. So we were very, very lucky, very fortunate. So I had an injection of – 
music stage, always had records playing at home from ABBA Arrival to Mozart, Beethoven. I remember reading, I can still tell you exactly where I was in my room, reading the novel Rebecca for Year 9 at St Anne's College and I was playing like Tchaikovsky's whatever movement because that's it was just how I was brought up. That's cool. So oh, music has continually been a part of my DNA but then I weirdly you diverted off to the whole science vet thing and I don't know why I did that. I think I was trying to prove something to myself. I don't know because uh, I, I chose, you, you know, you know career-wise, I was like, yep, going to be a vet, going to be a vet. And I remember these teachers sort of being really disappointed that I wasn't going down the whole English lit legal uh, humanities line. Right. But I was really defiant. No, 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 I'm doing science. And I did year 12, I look back and think, why the hell did I do calculus, physics, chemistry, biology? I mean, it just, Did you enjoy them at the time though? Not really. Like, bi- like biology I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed the mental challenge. I'm such a perfectionist. I think if I'm really, really honest and I delve deep down, I enjoyed the proving of myself. So you wanted to show that you could do it, that maybe, kind of thing? Yeah. Maybe that's what it was and maybe I was just really concerned about being smart, not just being this performer because I was meanwhile I was doing musical th- musical theatre every summer maybe I was I don't really know Rach where that comes from whether it's firstborn pressure my parents didn't go to university maybe it was I was trying to be that first person who stepped down to the big wide world and did a, did a degree so I you know I applied for a bachelor of science and I think gosh isn't that weird now given what I love why I did that did you go to a school that was pretty academically focused our year level was particularly yeah. Focused. All of my girlfriends and I were really driven, and our teachers, when we talked to them now, say to us, "You were a crackerjack year level. Like you're one of those year levels that we remember forever. Remember that we yeah. wish we had. We had a you know shit house one the next year. <laughs> yeah. So we were really driven, and we were a little country town, Warnable, very yeah. conservative, Irish Catholics, um, big push, hardworking parents that really wanted us to get out into the big wide world. Did you want? I mean, you were obviously so happy growing up on the farm. Did you? want to leave it and go to the big wide world or did you sort of do that again because you thought that's what you should do? I remember sitting on the porch the night before I went to Melbourne to college up to to Monash University up to college and I was petrified and mum was really emotional and all she could get out was just be yourself darling just be yourself and everyone will love you and she was I could hear her voice wavering and trying not to get upset so I was so excited about the challenge because I've always been a pretty determined, driven individual. Mm. So I, I was really excited to grasp onto that opportunity, but I was petrified about stepping into – all I knew about Melbourne was the news. People got murdered. Yeah. <laughs> so people, people died in Melbourne. Yeah, it's all that happens. <laughs> Car here. crashes. It's just, yeah. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And, yeah, it was, it was, oh, it was petrifying. I, I got up to Melbourne and remember – how scary is this? I remember, you got to remember, I, I went from for school, about 500 kids, all white, you know, Catholic, very conservative. I think we had one Greek girl. Wow. That was the only person of any diversity. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? And so I remember going to Monash University and seeing these people with hats on and sort of strange beards and saying to someone, what's that person doing? And they said, like, well, they're Jewish, George. That's their Jewish headdress. And I was like, Right. 
And I had this. That's an eye opener, isn't it? On every level, Rach. Yeah. On every level. Like my, my family were worldly. My mother was worldly. I, I could always talk about sex with mum. I could talk about all of that stuff. Mm. So I wasn't naive, but it was just the global exposure that I wasn't ready for. Um, but it was wonderful. I lapped it all up and, and a huge learning curve, exponential learning curve. So when you got there, were you like, oh, the fear goes and this, I'm just loving being here and I'm loving learning. Did you enjoy the university once you were there and the stuff? Or I you... loved college. I yeah. mean, you know what it's like. Yeah. $4 sweet strombo all you can drink <laughs> all night. <laughs> so, and I've always been a bit of a, I'm a, I'm a really weird cat. When I look back more, I was more extroverted in those years than I probably am now. Um so I was a lot more extroverted and just party, party, let's have fun. But also a great student. I didn't fail anything. I remember feeling really bad that mum and dad were – mum and dad paid my hex fees up front. Wow. And I was that's at college. Lucky. so I, I had to, still paying mine off. <laughs> and I was so lucky. Like it, they, yeah. That's sort of something that I look back now and think as parents, that was incredible. Um, and I always had the guilt maybe. And the firstborn thing again, mm. need, can't fail, need to succeed, bit of a perfectionist. So I didn't fail anything, worked really hard. But I remember distinctly walking across to a physics lab, four-hour prac on electromagnetism and going, honestly, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing here? And at the same time, were you still – had you – you kind of joined the musical theatre society at university or were you doing any kind of drama society stuff or feeding that at I was uni at the same slightly, time? Slightly, yeah. I was, I, I, you know those memories that come back and you think, oh, my God, I did do that. And I remember doing a play in Blackburn and the rehearsals were a pain in the ass to get to. And I think it all just became too hard. And I maybe self-doubt, I don't know, maybe wasn't as passionate about it and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to let that go and just focused more on maybe being a, a girl in her Late teens, early 20s. So did you you finish the – did you do a Bachelor of Science and then you did the teaching degree after yeah, that? Yeah, did a Bachelor of Science, was going to do honours in Zool and thought, do I really want to be in a lab? And had that beautiful moment of like, shit, no. Mm. So I took a year off and, oh, my God, that year when I think – if I had a little hover camera on me now, like a drone, I'm like, sister, what are you doing with your life? Was with this guy that was just, oh, my God. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think my poor parents at that stage were like, what have we done wrong? Like, yeah. What have we done wrong? I went on the doll. Oh, yeah. Uh, went up. I remember skiing on the doll, my mum being livid, understandably, going, mm. what are you doing with your life? Um, just had to have almost that disconnect. Just had to just completely shut the world out to get re-inspired to go, what am I doing here? And then thought, was a polo groom, uh, did a bit of band work. I thought, you know, what are you doing with your life? And... I was still pretty lost, so I thought, well, teaching's good. Like, I could travel with teaching. I like kids. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do a grad dip. So I went back and did a grad dip. Really enjoyed that. Relationship with Weird Boy sort of fizzled out, which was great. Thank goodness. Much to mum and dad's joy, <laughs> I'm much sure. Joy. More pain still to come, Rach. But, oh, you know, good, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. keep it colourful. <laughs> but uh, went back, did grad dip, loved it. And then once I got into schools and interacted particularly with year 12s, so did all my teaching rounds, thought, you know what, this is bloody great. Like I loved the, the thrill of being in a classroom when kids are actively learning and looking at you and understand stuff and the joy in their eyes, that's addictive. That's mm. soul nourishing. That's beautiful. So did my teaching rounds at McKinnon High School and did a good job. So they said to me, we'd like to offer you a job as a graduate teacher. So that was wonderful. And I taught year 12 first year out. So, you know, I'm 21, 22 teaching. You're basically their friend. Yeah. They're the same age, essentially. So that was pretty awesome. They 
they were they were just beautiful kids. It was an incredible school. I was really well supported. You're really lucky because I've had some of my mates go into teaching and they've had nightmare first experiences or like a good solid chunk of time before they've gotten to a school where they felt like the, felt they respected. can re- yeah, yeah respected and yeah. they can relate to the kids. A lot of a lot of teachers. Yeah. It's a bit of a calling for sure, but there's a lot of teachers that go through the experience of teaching and it is, it's oh, tough. Like it's, it's a bit of a- Mentally tough. Yeah. And it's a luck of the draw situation mm-hmm. in terms of, because even as your teachers were saying about your year being spectacular mm-hmm. and then the other years not being, you just don't know what you're going to walk into. Yep. And you don't know what parent you get. Yes. And it takes one toxic family to really derail you mentally. Yeah. you will be pretty resilient. So- yeah, I was very blessed. It was a great – McKinnon's a great school. It's basically a privately run public school, so right. to speak. Um, How long did you do that for? So – and I must say I'm shithouse at dates, Rach. Like I've been listening to some people in your podcast and you go, now when was that? And they'll go, um, I think Sylvia Jeffries was like, uh, that was the 12th of January. Into, and I'm like, I am not like that. Yeah. How, how about Larry Emder? He was the same. I was like, your recall for 1983 oh, is unbelievable. So like, I am shithouse at that. So I tend to say, <laughs> oh, I taught for about three years. So from memory, I think it was three and a half years. But in that time, now this is the reveal, which um, is going to be quite fascinating. I was doing <laughs> some teaching, right? Pretty happy with that. But I'm, I don't know. I'm one of those people that one thing's just not enough, Rach. One career's just that's just not enough. Welcome to my world. I was about to say I do want to be I do want to be pretentious and say I think it's just like you. But oh, we are so similar. Do you suffer bad anxiety too? Uh, yeah. I am. I am riddled with it. So yeah. balls are in the air. Why? Why couldn't you just do teaching, George? Yeah, no, no you no, can't. No, no. You can't because that's too easy. Too easy. That's too easy. You want to juggle ninety-eight thousand yeah. balls with no time. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to do. Yeah, one of my year twelves to get A's. Yes, which you know they did. They they nailed it. And but. Uh, so I decide to go back into performing because so I thought, you know what? Of course. Here's the little bug that just knock, 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 tick, 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 won't go away. So I just, I started um, the Australian Shania Twain tribute show. Oh. Now there's. How, how was this not in anything I read you. before sitting down? Michelle Laurie has dropped it a couple of times on radio. This anyway, is the best thing I've ever heard. Mm. You started up the show, this is you, you're this a one-woman show. One doing woman show. Sh- oh, dances, doll. Dances, full band, don't do it by halves. Travel, do all the RSLs. And at one stage I think I was doing, it was ridiculous, teaching full-time, I think I was doing four gigs a week. So I was booked in for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes a Sunday, and sometimes all in country, like driving. Crazy. But had a bloody hoot. I bet Because, you, you know, Shania, I get to come oh. out in the leopard skin doll. Oh. But don't impress me much. Oh, please. I don't. had the costumes. I had the work. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. So, Did the kids know that you were teaching? Oh, yeah. I had kids <gasps> doing – some of my year 11 and 12s who were professional dancers were my backup dancers. Oh, I love this. <laughs> this is one of the things that I loved about at school, like the, the, the life that your teachers have outside of the – you know, because you think they exist purely in the oh, schoolyard. They, they teach you and then they crawl into a little burrow. That's it. And they disappear until mm-hmm. you turn up to school next day and then you realise, oh, my God, um, our teacher is a sh- <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing a solo Shania Twain um, on concert every night. That's amazing. Boom. There it is. You didn't think you were going to get that today? That is great. This is like, we can stop now. We don't we're need done. To, we're we done. are done. So you were doing that and the teaching mm-hmm. at the same time. And I suppose that really, I loved that and it was great. Good coin, really good coin. And so I thought, you know what, this is, 
I suppose I, I fell in love with the performing again and I had so much beautiful feedback that people were like, why aren't you singing more, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I started auditioning, got, a, got an agent, started auditioning for, I've always had the dream whenever I've watched. There's this great quote someone said to me once, always watch what people are envious of because that's what they'll be doing next. So I would sit in a musical theatre show and watch these performers and say, and it wouldn't be jealousy. You know, yeah. I'd be, oh, I'm so envious of that beautiful role they're doing. They're on stage. So I always had this burning desire to do musical theatre. So I was auditioning for that between my teaching and Shania. Of course. Just uh, in the spare two and a half seconds. That, yeah. uh, <laughs> so I was just really blessed that I got offered two professional shows. I got offered We'll Rock You by Queen with Ben Elton, Brian May, and I got offered um, Cats, Grizabella in Cats to tour Singapore. Gosh. So it was so b- weird because not like I was ecstatic to be offered a role, but let alone two. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do here? So I decided at that stage I was in a relationship in Melbourne. I thought, right, I'll stay in Melbourne and do We'll Rock You. Said yes. Had to go to my principal and say, I'm leaving, term two. Had to tell all my year 12s. Had to tell I was coordinating 120 year 10 kids that I'd coordinated for year nine and 10. So they're like my my babies. And that still remains one of the most, um, what's the word I would use? Heartbreaking but magnificent days in my career was when was my last day of teaching and what those kids did and I was so emotional and what they wrote for me and kids that you know shocking kids that we'd worked really hard just came in quietly looked at me and just slipped something on my desk and walked out and it's this magnificent I've got a box of the letters at home that whenever I'm having one of those days where you just want to have a little I want to build my soul a little bit Mm -hmm. I just read them and yeah my year 12 kids I told them I said oh I've got some news guys I'm I'm going to um, be leaving. And it was just this silence. And I just remember 26 faces looking at me. And I said, I'm, I hope I've instilled in you that, you know, you always should follow your dreams. And I, and I love teaching you. But it was such a shocking message for them because I'm like, I love teaching you, but I need to go. And mm-hmm. I said, I've got other dreams that I need to fulfill. And it was silent. No one said anything. And this one kid, Josh, who was one of the naughty boys, he just – Looked around as if to go, you know, I'll take this, guys. <laughs> I and got he, this. I got this, guys. And he said, well, miss, we're really proud of you and good on you for, f- you know, you're showing us that we need to follow our dreams, but we're going to miss you. And I was just like, oh, oh, my God. And I never forget that day. It was so hard. But I always knew when I was teaching that there was something else. Intuitively, I always knew that I wasn't there for a long time. I just knew that I was in this space of going, I'm going to enjoy this because I'm not here for long. Yeah. And so, yeah, went and did We'll Rock You with Ben Elton and Queen and Brian May and jumped around on stage in a leotard eight shows a week. And that was awesome. That was bloody awesome. That it's was gruelling, that schedule, isn't it? Gruelling. Like- and mentally I was, um, after about six to eight months, probably about after about five months, I was like, that thing about you've always wanted something so bad and when you get there you go, yep, this is Rage, but, but it's work. But I've got my foot on this mark on the stage in the same spot eight times a week. And the ego was saying, and I'm not a lead role, like I was an understudy for one of the leads, so I was in ensemble, which I was very grateful for, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But after a while, mentally, I, I always had the papers every time we were singing in the booth. We'd be singing Killer Queen while Annie be on stage. I'd have The Australian, The Age, Herald Sun, and all the other customers that would look at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just reading the news. Like, I'm getting up to date. Because I felt this weird, I'm not using this in my mind. Yep. So... Yeah, I probably got to the end of that. I did another musical with David Campbell, Carousel, and thought, I just need to – what can I do that combines my love of performing but I'm using my brain every day? And 
it's so weird. People come into your life for a reason or a season. Mm. The guy I was with who ended up being an awful, terrible breakup, very painful time. But at the time, he his purpose, I suppose, was saying to me, why don't you go into news? Like, you'd love news. Why don't you do, you know, cover reporting? You'd love that. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I'd be shit out of that. I don't think I'd be – guys, give it a go. Come on. So if I didn't have that, mm. I'd never be sitting here today. But that's that's interesting for a, a number of reasons. H- how long were you auditioning for roles before you got those two big offers? Oh, probably only three, four big auditions. Right. And then this is what interests me about that because there's a lot of people that can change their mind about what they want to do and get into certain th- and want to get into certain things, especially things like musical theatre, news reporting. Like those are tough businesses to get into. Mm. And the idea, it seems like it's not actually possible to go, actually, you know what, I might do that now and then actually get huge roles or actually end up sitting where you're sitting. So mm. it's sort of an odd combination of obviously talent is a huge part of that and and sort of moving where the wind takes you. But I don't know, there's, there's a bit of the universe coming in and going, you're supposed to be doing this because it's an odd way to find yourself to here. Oh, Rachel, um, but it's, that's, I look back and go, I'm a massive manifester, mm. but there's stuff I can't explain like there's big stuff that I can't explain, which, you know, I'll get to down the journey, but I remember writing in a journal when I'd first met my husband saying, I'd love to work for Roving one day. I just love that company, love what they stand for. Yeah, would really like to work for Roving. And I've got the date. It was like, you know, eight years ago before I even was on their radar. So there's stuff that I can't, yeah, I can't explain a lot of it other than I'm a big believer in manifesting. Mm. I'm a big believer in... Um, Obviously working, you know, my ass off, but there's something else there, I agree, on a universal there's level. something else there. But at the same time, there's something about the whole manifesting thing that, that I like and I loathe because I think for some people they take out of that the idea that if they just stick a Maserati on a mood board there and look at it every day, then eventually the Maserati mm. will turn up. And what it actually, what you actually need to manifest something is you need to be doing the work to make that happen. Mm. You need to be going, you know what I'm going to do? A Shania Twain tribute uh, show and I'm going to go out four nights a week on top of my teaching job and I'm going to build that and I'm going to get good feedback and I'm going to feel like I have the confidence to do that. I'm going to find an agent then I'm going to start auditioning there's a sense of of commitment and work ethic that comes behind that that means yep. that while you sit down and say okay this is what I want you are still actively working to get it oh you can't just like my, my manager and I talk about this all the time we just can't sit there and go we want this job mm. and manifest it that's not manifesting yeah you know you have there's a process and there's you have to put stuff and manifesting is also putting stuff out there it's mm. telling people it's working things like you said it's auditioning and and I don't believe manifesting can be materialistic things for me it's mm. weird it's always what sort of job would I want how do I feel when I'm in that job what skills am I using in that job how do I feel when I'm applying for the job what will that job give me you know there's a process of things mm. um I think it's just gotten that sort of thing feels very da- like dangerous when it's not applied in the right way because I think it oh, gives false hope to people. And I think absolutely. people buy into this idea that oh, if I just stick a few things on a pin board no. and think about them all, ta- all the time and wake up and look at them, and you're right, a lot of the time it is sort of materialistic rather than what, could, what kind of job could I get where I'm really useful and I feel great every mm. day and those kind of things. Um, it's but, stripping yourself back to your core, I reckon. It's mm, not materialistic stuff. No, and it's also it also requires you to be produced to get it to happen. And I think then when you look back on things, it feels like fate played a role. But what really did the lion's share of the work is you. 
Yes. Even though there but is gosh, some... Gosh, people play a role. Like, I, I, I don't think I could... I don't think I controlled the people... Maybe I did control the people that came into my life. You know, like at that time, that ended up being a really toxic, terrible relationship. And But at that time, I would never have gone into that if it wasn't for that person's support and guidance. Mm. So that's why I think people do come into your life for a reason or a season. And I don't know whether I had any control about who came into my life. Mm. Um, but I guess you've also got to heed those messages too. You know, you have to hear that a lot of other people might go, oh, just whatever this is. I just, I can't, I need to get away from anything he suggested. It was so toxic or whatever. But to actually listen to that and go, okay, I'm picking up on something you're telling me and I'm going to take that and I'm going to go and take a chance on this and do something. Yeah. Because, you know, that takes something too. And again, you're taking responsibility for that. But then did you, is that when you went to Channel 31? Is that so how you got into Channel that? Channel 31, yep. But, and that was just another almost fortuitous experience because we had Phil Chubb, who former head of 7.30 Report, incredible man, incredible journalist. Um, I had the most <laughs> disastrous interview. He knew me before that, but I had this terrible interview. But th- thank God he knew me, my work ethic, how passionate I was, that he sort of said, that was a shit house interview, Georgie. But um, we're going to, why don't I give you more sort of exercises and applications here and I'll give you an interview and he did all these fake interviews with me and I went home like the perfectionist I am and researched the crap out of it and mm-hmm. so that was amazing because we'd come in at like seven in the morning no pay I think we were on for the whole year on 20 grand I think and no pay you'd have to come up with the story yourself find the story do the interview edit the story then I presented the news that night and you should see the presenting it was just oh it was just atrocious so I love looking back going you know what, it's great to watch that I've actually come so far. Do you still have the footage? Yeah, we played it on the project the other day oh, and it was like, cool. oh, my God, it was just terrible. <laughs> and it, So I love that because it was so bad, but we had such a beautiful support network. We would piss ourselves every night at this gorgeous woman, Kathy Callahan, who was our producer. So again, Rach Fortuitous, because if you didn't have the right people yeah. in that studio, I probably would have given it up and gone, I, I feel terrible about myself. But we had a bloody blast. Mm. and. Enduring friendships that I'm now still friends with those people 20 years later. Mm. And it was this same guy that was in my life at the time that found an ad in the Australian media section for a producer on the Today Show. And I wasn't even looking. And he's like, you should go for this. Come on, go for this. Oh, so that's how it came about and by I was an like, ad. Producer. And he goes, here you go. He found it. So weird. Yeah. And so I applied, had my interview, and I remember the EP of the of the Today Show at that stage, Darren Wick saying, no, Georgie, you understand it's not on air. Like, we're, you're a producer. <laughs> yeah. I said, I totally understand that. It's an in. Mm. It's a way in. So I, I suppose that the way I was raised was never, ever to have a sense of entitlement. Yeah. Never, ever to expect things. So I was just overjoyed that I was working at Channel 9. I was working on the Today Show. How long had you been working at Channel 31 for? Oh, not even a year. Jeez, you just get you you leapfrog. <laughs> like, Boom, boom. You're like, oh, I did the auditioning for a couple of moments and then go roll on oh. We Will Rock You. And then I've just done a, less than a year of Channel 31 and I'm a, I'm a reporter or a producer well, on today's show. You say that, that I think of that. And, and I was still, has this, I was still auditioning and I got offered a, a role. Poor Chong Lim's never let, let me forget it. I was auditioning. I was auditioning for the first time Dirty Dancing came out. They flew me to Sydney. They offered me the role. And I had that thing again. It's always been like, which way am I going here? What, what am I doing here? And I went into Phil Chubb. I said, can I ask you a really honest question? I've been offered a role in Sydney for musical theatre. And I've got this 
Today Show gig that I want to apply for. What do you think I should do? If you don't think I've got what it takes for TV, I want you to tell me because mm. I don't want to waste my time. If you think I'm just dreaming, and he was great, and he just looked at me and he said, you've got a lot of work to do, but I think you've got what it takes. So, and that was it. And that was it. Mm. I trusted him. I believed him. He was a man of few words. So he he's really the man that's responsible for me being here because I easily could have just gone off into the – and happily, I suppose. But um, I looked at so many people in musical theatre, Rach, that were doing eight shows a week who were so talented, so talented, far more talented than me, mm. and they were desperately unhappy because they'd never got that break. They'd never got that role. And so my head, maybe the scientist in me, looked at the logic and went, I don't reckon that's a path for me. I think that's a path that will break my heart. Mm. So I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this another way. It's good to get that opportunity to have that choice. Well, and some people don't have that choice. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, then it was all systems go on the Today Show, producing stuff, and I just pushed and pushed and pushed, like poor chief of staff, and he'd (laughs) send me out to do a producer's story. And do you know what I did? What? I just started putting myself in the story. (laughs) (laughs) And he, how, how naughty is that? But th- is that naughty? Is it smart? Is that ambitious? Is that – I don't know. I was like, I can do this. So give me an example. They would send you out to just give – did they want audio piece? from you or they wanted just content – they just wanted information from you. They didn't want any piece to camera. They didn't want any audio. They just wanted you to come back with a story that – what they would then send a reporter out to? Or? No, they just wanted like almost like a little tiny, tiny three-minute version of an Australian story. They just want a woman who was diagnosed with diabetes, say, had, and they'd want her interviewed. They'd want some overlay, a little package. And I just put myself in it. <laughs> I remember, I still remember my chief of staff, Simon Hobbs, ringing up going, what the hell? You're in the story. And I went, I know, because I can do this. And he just got so angry. But then he was almost a bit like, there was almost a bit of respect there going, how's this girl's That's form? That's ballsy. How's this girl's form? And I just kept pushing. And I said, I can do this. I can do this. And then I just did another one. And luckily I had men and an EP that said, yeah, you know what? And it's... It's okay. Like, she can do it. Like, this is good. So then I just built up from that and they just kept giving me stories. And and it was hard because the other producers in Sydney, I could tell, were like, we want to do that too, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was it's, like, I'll do it, you know? It's when you're the trailblazer, when you've just got the balls to do it, that's a difficult position to be in because there are other producers Ooh. around that are like, oh, we There's could have just done that. lots of energy getting thrown at you that's a bit toxic. Yeah. But I think it helped that I was in the Melbourne Bureau, see, and they were all up in Sydney. Right. So it helped that I had my own little sort of space there. I had a beautiful Nick McCullum was my mentor and he was so supportive and he just kept saying to me, you're really good at this. Keep going. Keep doing it. He was just amazing. He was so encouraging. Mm. And so, yeah, Today Show did travel reporting, travelled the world. It was just bloody great. And produced my own stuff, wrote my own stuff, just learnt so much stuff. The best thing I've ever done in my career, Rach, in terms of TV, is be a producer. Mm. Oh, it's the best thing ever to produce your own work because not only do you know how everything works behind the scenes and yep. understand the how to put a story together, what what it needs, um, which makes you a better presenter, yep. you also have complete respect for the people that work around you when oh. you are in a presenting role and understand exactly how much work goes into putting a show that you're working on, whether it's a 
on radio or television together. Yeah. And I've seen some people really treat producers poorly and that's always been a real bugbear of mine. I really don't like that because mm. I don't think that they realise just because they've never had to they've, produce their own show. They've never rung someone or been out on someone's doorstep at five in the morning and got them over the line. Yeah. That work that's involved to get them up for the 710 cross with Carl Stefanovic. Yeah. And, you know, all that stuff. I'm just so grateful for all those experiences and I learned so much on the road, producing for Carl, producing for Lisa. I've patted Tony Blair's nose for Jess Rowe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you now? I did. I was in this little tent by myself with Tony Blair pattering his nose because we had no makeup artist or anything. Was he a nice guy? He was lovely. But oh. I just had, it was a really weird moment. Yeah, of course. It's bizarre. Those. <laughs> Do you mind, Prime Minister, if I just powder your nose? Sure. <laughs> so how long did you actually I want to clear one thing up how did you know um, Phil Chubb before you sat down and had you said you knew him before he had that interview with you no I, he had he had said to us there was a I think there was an ad about Channel 31 mm. and we'd come in and I think we'd had like workshops or something I can't remember workshops and then he had said we're going to have formal interviews oh so he'd seen you just in those workshops just before workshops, you sat down just working right. together so that gave I him really a chance remember of how that all Started Maybe it was an ad in the paper or something. I can't remember how I found out about Channel 31. You know, the interesting thing about Channel 31 is that there's barely a Melbourne person, a media personality, who hasn't come through mm. that channel. Waleed, Pete. Waleed, yeah, exactly. Um, Tommy was doing stuff there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like, was it seen as kind of the surefire way to get into media? I think it was seen as a really supportive, safe, nurturing, I can make mistakes way. And it was almost, it was just your version of regional television for the city. Right. Which is so important and so sad that it's been lost because Mm. it was this beautiful experimental playground where they just supported all these great ideas and you could have fun. And Greg D was the director and he was really open and encouraging for any idea. And it didn't matter if you made mistakes. I mean, God, we made so many mistakes. Mm. I pulled the cable. One of our my mates pulled the cable out of Channel Thirty One <laughs> one day. We, the whole network went off air because it was just under a, like like we were sitting here. It was just this power cord under the table, and we knocked it out. And we heard everyone go, "We're off air! We're off air!" That's the sort of place it was. I'm always amazed when places can be brought down by one plug. <laughs> I feel like there should be. It should be the retina scan goes through to the fingerprint door goes through. Through to the you know the body scan and then you oh. get through to the button that you're allowed to turn off. But somebody just trips over a right, coin like, and like We're even down. just a highlighted arrow, <laughs> anything. <laughs> this is the main cable that keeps the station on air. Anyway. That's it. Do not plug your phone in to charge it in this socket. Um, so how long were you working oh, for the you Today Show? Could talk forever. You're I not going right. to get this down to an hour. You know I know. That. I know. It's all right. Well, this is the beauty of podcasting, yes. right? We can go edit, for as edit. long as we want. Um, um, how long were you at the Today oh, Show? I know you're bad with numbers. Shit, out with numbers. Yeah, uh, I think it was about six years. Right. So that's a lot of time. That's a lot of experience. Five. I think five, yeah. I went through one, two, three, three EPs. Right. Um, Yeah, bloody great, gorgeous, and I just loved it. But then I knew, understandably, I was pushing to do some other stuff. Oh, what do you know? Pushy. (laughs) And I was like, what about if I do some, hi, what about if I do some news ring, whatever? Oh, you know, have you really done that stuff before? Well, ages ago, but I think I can take the next step out of reporting to do some presenting. We don't really see you like that. So they just saw me, pigeonholed me as the Today Show reporter. Now, mind you, I was doing heap. The network as a whole was so supportive. Mm. I did carols three times singing. I did postcards. I did all these other stuff. Um, 
on the network, but it was almost still, yeah, but you're still there. That's what you are. That's what you are, Mm. Georgie. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. I've got other stuff to offer. And my manager, who's great, was just saying to me, what do you reckon about jumping off the cliff and getting out of there? And I was like, to nothing. She's like, yeah, to nothing. Just been through a terrible relationship breakdown. So I was had a mortgage in the most, um, you know, in an industry that's so insecure. Yeah. You don't have stability. You don't have certainty. And I'm like, how am I going to pay my mortgage? She's like, it'll all work out. I'm that's like, that's good advice. How? I mean, it's nuts advice, but good advice to have that faith in you. Beautiful. But I also love it. not many people – it was interesting when I was looking through sort of the, tr- the the path of your career and I thought, gosh, not many people decide to leave a job like that. There's that sense that once you've got it, you hang on to it until you lose it because you know how rare the jobs are. So it's quite brave to make the step to go – to actually be able to see, okay – I'm pigeonholed here and I'm probably not going to move forward because that feeling can be sometimes I'm pigeonholed, but I'm on air. So I'm just going to oh, yeah. keep going because I need just, you need to be on air and somebody else might see me or I might, you know, they might change their mind about me here. Or I'll just keep pushing. But the idea of actually going, I'm going to end this and not go to anything is a, is a decision not many people make. Well, I think it comes from a good, a healthy sense of self, which comes from your family mm. and also perspective. Will I be okay when I wake up in the morning? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Like, and processing that fear. And I've always believed that regret is a far worse emotion than fear. I don't want to live with regret, but I can process fear. I can work through fear. Fear's okay. Mm. You know, I can get to the other side, but regret stays with you forever. So I I just thought, bugger this. So I jumped off the cliff and I put in my notice. And I remember EP, Tommy was like, I thought we're all good for next year. I thought we're all good to go. And I said, yeah, we were, but... I need to do other stuff. And he was beautiful. He totally respected that and said, oh, God, good on you. I think you're brave. And and I remember I didn't say anything, but I think um, it got in the papers that I was leaving despite having a a contract offer for next year. And it was really interesting the people in the media that contacted me saying, God, I'm so envious if you've been able to do that because I can't do that. And I sort of wish I could because you've now taken control of your destiny rather than... And I, and I was reading, you know what it was, Rachel, I was reading this amazing book at the time and his quote was Daniel Petrie and his quote was, big massive guy up high up in Microsoft, the day you're working for the company and it's not working for you, it's time to go. Mm. And that just hit me in the face. And I thought, this isn't this place, Channel 9, it's been very, very good to me, wouldn't be where I was today without them, but it, it's an inanimate object, it's mm. not a real person and it's no longer serving me. So... Thank you, but goodbye. And then I just sort of didn't have, just met my soon-to-be husband, so I was really happy spiritually, which Mm. helps. Yeah, it does. Um, So I was just on this journey of, but also fiercely independent woman, so also not wanting to say to him, do you know what I mean? I was no way. Take I was, care of me. Yeah, I, I'm going to just be this, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, unemployed girl and happy to go under your wing. No, 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 no. Yeah. Like that is everything that I am not. <laughs> yeah. So I was also weirdly fiercely independent and needed to prove stuff. And, you know, some work came in, did some did some freelancing with Channel 7 for a while, but just started manifesting what I wanted to do. But at the same time, like you said, you can't just manifest. So I thought, I want to do morning. I reckon morning telly would be great. And I reckon there's such a market for a good women's show. So I weirdly don't know why, thought 
I'd seen the way Pam Barnes had been um, sort of exited from Nine. I've always respected her and loved her. I just didn't know her that well, but when she left Channel Nine, I sent her an email saying, you've always been a hero to me and I know you're going to go on to great things, so good luck. I pulled up her email address and thought, I'm going to have a coffee with Pam Barnes. Now, why I did that specifically, I don't know. But I thought, she's a great woman. Maybe she. We, I, and I sat down to have breakfast with her, and we still laugh about that day in South Melbourne. And I said to her, I want to do morning TV, Pam. And she just said, Oh, you'd be great at that. And she wasn't really thinking along those lines necessarily, but we just talked about we think there's a great market. And I talked to my manager and said, I really want to do morning TV. And my manager said, uh, a few months later, there's a new show coming on Channel 10 in the mornings. Guess who the EP is? Pam Barnes. Had she pitched the idea or... No, they'd uh, no, rung her. They'd rung her. So, it ha- wow. And so that all happened. And I, so once I heard that, I emailed her and I said, hey, um, remember our conversation? And of course, I had to go through the whole, you know, do the auditions like everybody else. Yeah. And um, I did the audition, did a really good audition with, with Denise Drysdale. And everything, we just felt like it was synchronised again. That weirder higher power of like, this is weird. And I think they were close to going with someone else in Sydney. Um, it was sort of all over the shop. And I remember just, again, going, you know what? Just what have I got to lose? So I asked for Stephen Tate's email here at 10 and just sent him this huge email about why I was the best person for that job. This is what I can bring. This is what I'm passionate about. And I am. I'm so passionate about that show. Like that that show was everything to me. And it all just sort of went ching, 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 and then I got the call. You know, like you're going to be on this new show called The Circle. Wow. So that was just quite magical. And those two years were magical. They were just like nothing else I've ever experienced in TV. In what way? What was so great about it? The chemistry, the natural higher power again. Like why did you th- why did the four of us work? But mm. we just did. Mm. Pam's beautiful guidance, her being our EP, all the staff, um, everyone loved it. Mm. Like we start as soon as we started, there was something special about it. Yeah, it was certainly. I remember, um, even though, well, I suppose morning and breakfast television gets this anyway. Uh, even if people don't watch it, it is flooded all over the news mm. for the rest of the day. There's content that's consistently recycled on all of the news sites, so you get a sense of what's going on in morning television, even if you were at work and you didn't watch the stuff. So there's a yeah. tension on it. But you're right, there was something about that show. It just kind of popped up, and then all of a sudden it was everywhere and everyone yeah. was aware of it and everyone I still have people come up the street and say I miss the circle mm. I, I'm I've, you know when I and they one, my favorite comment is I raised my daughter I was breastfeeding my daughter or my son when the circle was on and you girls got me through so many days oh that's cool and that's something that I'm really proud of and yeah I had my daughter on the show you know mm. I was pregnant so it's a really special time in my life and the friendships and being surrounded by really strong independent career women played a massive part in the scaffolding of the type of mother that I wanted to be without the guilt. I would be a very different mother if I had been on the farm and had expectations of being the wife at home in the kitchen. Mm. I would have rebelled against that and had, I think, really bad depression if I had been just surrounded by that. But when you're surrounded by, you know, you become the average of the four people you spend the most time with. Exactly. If you, if you have a Kate Landbrook next to you who's got four children plus a child who's really sick and she says, you still need to go to work to be the best version of you, that's so inspiring. Yeah. That benchmark's way up here. Mm. So that was all those things, right, were amazing. It also gives you the permission to be the ambitious person that you are because I think a lot of women yeah. struggle with that when you think, oh, my goodness, I love my children or my child and I want to give that 
child or children a lot of attention, but at the same time, I don't feel me unless I have a career and I'm ambitious and I'm trying to chase something. But that struggle between does that mean I'm a bad mum because I'm not paying them enough attention or I'm not giving them enough of myself? And it's a real battle for a lot of mothers. And so to have an example where people are like, it's okay if you still are driven and you want more than just to do that. Like that, to do you, nappies all day. Yeah, exactly. You can be a great mum still and be a yep. career woman. Um, and, yeah, it's it's great to have that example in front of you and people around you who think the same way as you because then it gives you permission to be like, this is okay that I come into work every day. And you see what, what I kept seeing is I saw the children. Mm. I saw how resilient, happy, centred, normal in love with their mums they were. Mm. So it's one thing for the mum to tell me, it's another to see the evidence and go, they're fine. Yeah. You know, exactly. like Pam Barnes was a single mum when she did Hey Hey with two young girls. Yeah. Like, so I was just surrounded by these incredible women. So that was just bloody great. Mm. And then because of that, um, when Carrie was going through her her torturous time with, with Gre- her husband Greg dying, um, I was pregnant. They tapped me on the shoulder of the network and said, <clears throat> excuse me, could you come and do filling for Carrie on the project? Um, so it was insane time because I was pregnant doing the circle and then doing this, mm. but it was a beautiful opportunity and also so different. Like at that time, circle was three and a half hours live, project was one hour, yep. like getting shot through the uh, <laughs> yeah. in a roller coaster. What yeah. the hell? You actually assign questions? Like <laughs> yeah. you actually have questions? Like yeah. You wouldn't even write questions for circle interviews. Yeah. Um, so that was beautiful and they're trusting me and, and Craig's ability to say, I think she can do this show too. Mm. Um was really special. Um, but by the end, Rach, by when we had all the issues that went on and you know, with Chrissy leaving and Denise leaving and um, issues in the media with Yumi, it was in the end a very tough gig um, because I, I always take too much on firstborn. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I found it really, really tough. So by the end of the th- – into the third year, I would be – I was barely functioning – Mm. because we were doing three and a half hours live a day and Yumi and I were the only normal, like the hosts that were there all the time. So we'd have guest hosts, which are great, but guest hosts are really energetically, you've got to alter your performance the whole time. Oh, yeah, it's hard. I think with some of the shows now that are doing, um, that that cycle through a guest host, it's tough because you get in a rhythm when you're working with a team where you go, okay, I know how you operate. I know what I need to do. Yep, and I know even on your days when you're not operating at 150%, I can navigate that. I'm 100% across, but sometimes when people sit down with you, I don't know what you're going to bring. If you are at 80%, I'm going to have to lift that extra 20%. Yep. It's like a grind, you're grinding it and out. And you have some that, like some days that had never done it before. So naturally, yeah. there's enough, you know, we always had the philosophy as we do on the project. Everyone needs to shine, always mm. help everyone out. There's a sisterhood there. So you'd give so much energy to go, okay, so now we need to do this. And so we were absolutely knackered. Mm. And I was a mum of a young child too and trying to give my family and my family got nothing like they were getting the dregs and I was going home I was crying most weekends Mm. and just I had nothing left absolutely nothing and my husband just beautiful man just grabbed me one day and said sweetie you're just not you um and Mel my manager was like I'm really worried about you I was in tears to her and so weirdly I manifested (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm sadly the circle needs to finish and I want to work on the project once a week um, and so it was so weird. Again, I got a call from the head of News and Current Affairs on a day where I was so unwell that I had to stay home. That was the day he came down to tell the Everest Circle office that he rang me and said, I've got some news. Sorry, Georgie, but Circle's finishing. Um, but we would like 
to keep you on the network to do the project. <laughs> so I just walked out to my husband and I just had tears and he said, what is wrong? And I said, I've just had the weirdest experience. Like, network have just called Circles Ending, but they want me to stay on for the project. And he just sort of hugged me and we had this. And I was so sad that the circle finished mm. because it was the best thing that's ever happened in terms of – it was just magical. But it wasn't what it was, I suppose. So I I knew in some ways that it, it inevitably was had to change. But I was just really blessed. Like, And I think Craig met me the next day for a coffee to say, righto. This is what we want you to do. There are going to be a lot of people listening to this and then just saying to themselves over and over, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this. It's like, oh, you need some magical fairy I dust. Suppose, you know what I did, you know what I, I realised, I did omit that I do probably need to do because I like to own it is when I was doing Today Show, they rang me and said, we're going to start a new news service, Georgie, um, from, do you remember that? They started a new, new early edition news from 6 till 7am and then we're going to do Today Show from 7 till 9. Yeah, and they said, we want remember. you to be the early news reporter from 6 to 7. We're just going live, not packages. And then Today Show will kick in 7 to 9. So I got that gig, which was great, but means my shift started at 4am. So I used to get up at 2.40. Oh, that's the worst. I am. I'd be check the news. I'd drive through the tunnel. My shift would start at 4. I'd be live. They'd just go live at four times. So it was the best way to learn, my God, I've just got to go live for four crosses here. Were you writing the news or you had people that no, were writing? Like they were writing and we were just reporters. So I was oh, Melbourne were, reporter, right, so they would reporting. jump to me. Mm-hmm. Maria Corp. Um, it was a body in the shrine. It was found. It was a massive week when the week I started. And then the newsroom in Melbourne said to me, could you also do the 6 p.m. news slot as well? And I was like, okay, sure. Wow. Why, why did I say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and I knew I was on that weird journey of I know that this is leading me somewhere, so I'm just going to go with it. Mm. So I'd get up at 2.40. I would do my shift at 4. I'd go live at 6. I'd have brekkie, and then I would start my new shift at 10. And then I'd get put on a story and I would do that story and that would go on the evening news bulletin at 6pm and then I would go to bed. Like, that's just nuts. Oh, that's crazy. And people were like, what are you doing? And I didn't do it all the time, but when they needed me to do it, and I was part of me like, oh my God, this is the 6pm bulletin. Like, this is the this is the thing. Mm. And it was crazy, but God, I learnt how to work hard and I learnt resilience and I got respect in the newsroom I think because people were like she's been up since 2:40 and then she's doing the lead here. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was one of those situations where I thought this is definitely going to put me in a good position one day. I don't know when that day is, but it'll help. When did where did that fit in? That was that So that was while I was at in in the Today show sort of five and a half years. It was yeah. towards the end of that. Okay, right. But you weren't right. Okay, I got gotcha. you. That's I'm just trying to put it all in. The, all in the <laughs> I suppose I like to mention that, Rach, because I like don't like people to hear the stories that I'm telling and go, "Gee, she's got like had a really great." She's lucked it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I go, well, getting up at two forty and working through till six pm is not lucking it. No. And then that, all of that experience, I think. I didn't need to prove anything to anyone else, but for me it was – it validated that I can do this from someone who hasn't come from a journalistic background mm. and get thrown stories. I remember one day, almost as a test, I got thrown the Carly Minogue story at half past four when the bulletin goes like to air at six. Um, she had cancer and it broke at 4.30 mm. and – She'd been in the hospital and I had to file. And I could almost sense there was a couple of senior journos going, ha-ha, suck this one up, 
Georgie, see if you can pull this out. And I did. Yeah. And we sent it to Sydney with two, like I think there was 20 seconds to spare. We sent the story to Sydney. Wow. And my news director that night, I went to a wedding, I remember, and got so drunk because I was so tired. He just sent me a text saying, and I was the lead around the nation that night, Mm. and and he said, well done, like great job. And I just, yeah, there's been a lot of proving I feel like I had to do a lot of proving in my life. Mm. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it makes me a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, I think that's a great I think that's a great um, thing to feel that you have to do because then it also helps you feel confident and comfortable in a room as well because I think that feeling of oh these guys don't think I have I should be here or I don't kind of feel like I've done enough to uh, you know be in here too like I get it I get why you think that like yeah. it's important for you not to feel that way to do the best yeah. job possible and the only way to get rid of that is to put in the time and the effort that means that you go, no, nah, I've done my time. Like, And also I don't ever call myself a journalist, Rach. Like mm. it's funny people say to me, you're a journalist. I'm like, no, 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 I present the news on the project, yeah. but I'm not a journalist. Um, I think what I bring to this role on the project is a lot of inquiry and I'll ask the questions that a lot of the people in the lounge rooms will be asking. I won't ask the, the sharpest questions. Like, that's Waleed. You know, that's yeah. his stick. <laughs> yeah. But I bring a lot of warmth to yeah. the desk. I bring a lot of... Um, humility I think people can really relate to me the Mm. greatest compliment people have given me is you're so warm and natural the way you present it's like you're talking to me at home yeah so true and that's that's a greater compliment for me than you know every fact about World War II I didn't do I'm shit ass at that stuff like I did three sciences and a math so (laughs) I think it's that sense of self too of realizing who you are what you bring Mm. and that's okay Mm. like I'm the first on the desk to go I don't know about that yeah and people re- people relate to that because you're being yourself, yeah, right? Yeah, don't want to be something that you're not. Yeah, and that's important because that's what people connect with. What, what do you think is the best and the worst thing about the business? The best thing is the creativity and the fun and that I come to work honestly and don't really believe that it's a job. The worst thing is unnecessary competition that people create out of insecurity I don't buy into that there's enough to share I've always had the mantra that there's enough to share and women against women in that regard is really unattractive mm-hmm. so I'm I go above and beyond to make every woman particularly that sits next to me on that in that fourth position to feel as though my job here is to help you shine yeah and then you just feel that's the best result for everyone anyway totally. and Everybody looks good in that envi- in that arrangement. If everybody's yes. trying to make everybody look good, everybody wins. But you just feel like a better human too. Like yes. you just don't feel tight and closed and hot and angry. Yeah. You feel calm and relaxed and you have a better performance anyway. Mm. Um, Especially because your, your uh, competition, feeling of competitiveness or your insecurity doesn't make the jobs come your way. Like, it's got nothing to do – it's got very little to do with you. It's it's yep. a, There's a million other variables that you have no control over. None. So you're better off making other people feel good about themselves working with you, get, you know, walking out of the room without everybody going, oh, thank God, she's an absolute nightmare, yep. having a good time, and then the chips fall where they may. That's you know, right. It's like – And it's such a small industry, Australia. Yeah. Like, uh, the amount of times I've run into people that – They've said to me in hindsight, I remember you, Georgie, when I was a a soundo on the Today Show and you were so lovely to me. And I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. Like, why, why, why wouldn't I be? That's the way we're raised. We're all equal. Yeah. And But that person's now the senior producer of whatever and he's in charge of casting. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah, because you know people move around this business. It's tiny, and tiny. then and they remember like those kind of old wounds stay with them. And if you were an asshole when yep. they were a nobody, then eventually they, those people are always the ones that end up executive producer. Of they do. <laughs> well, know? some of the producers here when I first started the project were they'd just come on as producers. Yeah. And it's been really interesting that you know if I took the time, which I just would to talk to them about their lives, what do you do, do you play an instrument, whatever, and they've just gone, bom, 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 mm. now like second in charge. <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. why wouldn't you do that I anyway? Know. You don't need a reason to do it, mm. but why wouldn't you treat people with respect? Yeah. I don't like it that all these people are like, oh, you've got to be careful about who you treat on the way up and the way down. No, 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 you don't need a reason like no, that. exactly. Everyone's equal. You shouldn't be nice to somebody just because maybe in 15 years it might pay off. Because you're reducing <laughs> yeah. the negative impact that it might have down the track. You yeah. should just be nice to someone because you you want to be nice to them. Yeah, and you want to get in the car at the end of your shift and go, that was a really nice day at work. Yeah. Not, I yeah. hate those people and they hate me. And yeah, mm. but it's not that's not the approach that everybody uh, that everybody takes. Uh, all right, final five questions. Your biggest regret. Wow, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest regret. Oh gosh. Um, does that come on biggest stuff up? Would that be under that? Sure. That's such a deep question, though. Mm. Could um, be a job you've taken, job you haven't taken, something you've done on air that you wish you hadn't. I don't regret. It's a it's a really interesting concept because I I always feel that everything, the mistakes, the shit bits, the going to the bottoms of the, you know, the depths of despair, they're all so valuable. You've always got to take something out of them, and they've made me who I am today, and made made me take different choices and decisions that I never would have taken if I didn't have that shit time. Mm. Um, my biggest regret would be, oh, I remember being so sleep deprived coming from the Beaconsfield mine disaster. And then do you remember we had the repatriation of, oh, the, I, can't, I don't want to disrespect the soldier by not remembering his name, the repatriation of an Australian soldier went to the wrong place and we had to go to Priagalong and I had to do a cross with Richard Wilkins and I was literally sleep deprived because I'd worked for like three days straight and I didn't know we were going live and he said, Georgie, you're up there for the um, funeral and I said, yes, Richard, we're up here for the wedding. <laughs> oh, my God. I said wedding and this poor soldier and this poor family. Thank God it was at 6am so less people were watching. But that's something that I'm such a perfectionist. That stayed with me for so long. I just beat myself up about that forever. Mm. And, yeah, I just I, I just hated myself for that for so long. Those little moments stay with you. And the, the interesting thing is that it's very hard when people say, oh, people will, will have moved on. And the truth is they've moved on about 15 seconds after it's been mm. said. Like, obviously, you've made a mistake and it's a stuff up and whatever. But for you, because you care about what you broadcast. Oh. And I was just putting myself in the mind of that family, though. Yeah. That's what was more hurtful for me, that I'm a really empathetic person and a, and a nice person and I just sounded like a twit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but those oh, moments happen. God, you know. But that would be if you're going to say something that I could actually erase and mm. change. That would be it. But everything else, even the really challenging parts of my life, personal life and career, I wouldn't change them. It all shapes you. Yeah, um, it's all important stuff. Your dream gig. This is my dream television gig. To be honest, mm. I just love it. Do you like doing the um, the Fridays? Because you just live love yeah. the Fridays. You know, Carrie gets to do her four days and then be with her family. I get to be with my family all week and then I pop up on a Friday I bloody love it yeah and when she goes on holidays I do a week and think 
shit, man, that's full on. Like yeah. that's full time. That's great. But I'm so happy to go back home to the farm. I mm. like a balance mm. and I need to retract from the craziness of the media. I need the peace of my farm. I need sanctuary, stillness. I need nature to balance me out. I've weirdly become more of an introvert as I've gotten older. Maybe because in this industry you're just so exposed and I like to just go retreat right back in. Um, so Dream Gig, this is just great. Um, mm. Who knows what the future holds, Rach? I love I love um, thinking uh, – I'd love to involve my Dream Gig at the moment in terms of my true, true, true passion is music. I just performed this week with the Melbourne Recital Centre with an orchestra and fueled that again and oh, now I'm working cool. on a one-woman show, so I'm writing that. That's so cool. I know. So that's sort of the next Dream Gig in terms of my – my spirit. Yeah. Because so, that's something that I just adore. And I've really just, I'm manifested again. Of course. The right people came in, and I'm just working this incredible orchestra now, and I've got the right nourishing souls to work with. So that's all just beautiful, loving that. So a balance between one woman show and keep doing this would be great. Well, my next question is a big idea that uh, that you haven't got up yet and I feel like that's that's the one woman show. You're on the pro- you're on the way to to getting it up. One woman show and I think in terms of television somehow combining my love of music with interviewing people. Mm. That I haven't really nailed the concept, but I'd love a show where you're combining your love of music, performing something maybe and getting a side out of a person that um, I mean, yeah, I always get canned here in the in the project meetings because I'm always wanting to ask the really deep personal oh, questions, yeah. and, and they're like, "Georgie, that's not fun." Yeah, I know, <laughs> but that's what I'm interested in. So yeah. maybe a, more of a forum to go deeper. You know, I bloody love Oprah, mm. and I love what she did. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to do Oprah. It's almost like I want to do Oprah with music. Okay, all right. Everybody gets a car. Yeah. You get a car. <laughs> you get a car. car. <laughs> uh, if you weren't doing this, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing? Teaching again. Yeah, teaching. Is this a dream stuff or more practical? Could be either. Um, I'd be competing for Australia in equestrian. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right because you're a big – do Love you still horses. ride horses still ride, all the time? My warm blood at home. and So that would be like a – yeah, sure, why not? I could just do eventing over in equestrian. I think our average rider is like 50 in the Australian team. Some riders still 60, 65. So that um, you like to juggle a lot of balls, so maybe that's still to come, see? right? Maybe that's still there, right? <laughs> um, well, I don't know what I'm not going to put out my, my my number one. I don't know whether I should put out my number one thing because part of me is about manifesting. Is that if you put it out there too much, I don't know whether it comes true. What do you think? No, okay. Well, you you've you have nailed this manifesting thing. <laughs> So if there is a if there is a way that you do it that works, you leave yeah. that inside your little head, and you tell me when it happens on the podcast. But I wouldn't tell you this. This is what it was, and I'll tell you if it comes through. Okay, all right, I we'll promise. leave it at that because you've got you've got it you've got it clocked. You've <laughs> well, really nailed it. Yeah, but I can't. It's funny. I can't manifest another child. It's been really really oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I like say to Simon because my Cairo, my manager, all call me the manifester. They laugh and say just manifest it. But I'm like, I know that's the one thing. So there's a there's a journey and a lesson there. Mm. So whether it's done, one healthy child, which I'm so grateful for, is probably going to be maybe be it. Or it's just not the right time. That's right. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I always find that a lot of friends of mine that have struggled to have kids, it's always when they've just gone, well, it's not going to happen. Oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens as soon as they I let it go. Why I hit the Pinot last night. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good to hear. And finally, your advice to people wanting to get into the business. Um, well, just think about why you want to get into it. You know, if I had a dollar for the amount of people that said to me, hi, Georgie, how can I get on the project desk? 
ah, uh, what have you done? Like, yeah. what do you want to do? Like, why do you want to do it? Because I want to get on the project. Be on TV. Yeah, uh, no, kill no. me, kill like, me. That really shits oh, me. It makes my Back entire off. insides boil. And I think, what do you want to be good for? Or good at? What do you? What do you, do you want to be useful? Do you want to work hard? Do yes. you want to? Do, don't just want to get in front of a TV camera. Yeah. That is not a goal. It's what I say to them. What's your value here? Like, what? What? what how is your job aligning with your values? Mm. Because my values are: I love to give information in a warm, heartfelt, hopefully break it down for a lot of people that feel intimidated by the news. That's what my values are. And that's how I – that directs my presentation. Mm. But I know – so it really annoys them because I say to them, well, produce. Yeah. And they're like, oh. And Work. so 80 like 90% <laughs> of them go, well, I'm not – she's shit. I'm not, not going to talk to her about that stuff. Yeah. Like, be a producer. Best thing I ever did in my career, be a producer. Mm. And half of them are like, what's a producer? I'm like, yeah. go and find out. But people also don't want to put in the time. That's another reason why I wanted to do this show and why I've really enjoyed it um, because I was teaching a lot in Sydney at the radio school and a lot of people that would want to get into radio and media would sort of have that same, like, oh, how do I get on the show? How did you get on that show? I said, I've worked for 16 years is how I got on that show. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to put in your time yep. and do things and produce your own work and get stuff out there and, and put the runs on the board and be a competent performer and f*** it up a million times and ke- and be someone to be relied on and then eventually somebody might say do you want to do a half a second on tv one time and then you you know it's a it's a gradual gradual build over years but there's so many people you're right that come up to me like how do i get on that show how do i do that and it's like do you want to put in any work does anyone want to work anymore (laughs) and i'm i'm bad like that rage because my father had an incredible work ethic yeah mum and one thing, I'm so grateful to him. My brother and I have inherited it. And my son and I talk all the time. We sound like these old funny days. Ah, oh, this generation. don't. But I'm sorry. There are so many people that don't have a good work ethic. Yeah. I have worked myself to the bone to get where I am. And yes, you could listen to this podcast and say, yeah, still interesting universal powers or whatever. But I've worked my ass off. Everyone that knows me, all my friends have said, You've worked your ass off, George. And now I've got the balance. Like people say, God, you've got the balance now working once a week. I'm like, yeah, because I worked, worked your my ass off. off. Like yeah. when I was pregnant doing, you know, circle and project, that's why they trust me now. Yeah. But yeah, it's – so I think my advice would be work out why you want to do it. What are you really passionate about other than having your face on TV? Because people see through that anyway. Mm. Even if you did get on the project, everyone would see the inauthenticity if that was your only goal and you wouldn't be asked back. Yeah. Because in the meetings that comes out, I've totally. had meetings here with people that they don't get us back. Yeah. These guys are too smart for that. Yeah. And just just because you think you need to be in front of the camera, like that's not enough. Not enough. Like, it's not enough. Plus it's really unattractive. Yeah, exactly. It's so unattractive. Exactly. Which is, you, you can know, smell it a mile oh, off. Oh, it stinks. <laughs> it stinks Like that's so why I can't bad. watch half these reality shows. Yeah, Because all their managers have said to them, right, so I think the next stage for your career is you need to do this reality show mm. because that'll get you good exposure. Then we can get you a couple of endorsement deals. It's just like and there's also people see see it for what it is. There's no depth to it, but I'm also a huge like believer in feathering your nest in a way or putting as big a net underneath you if you are going to be on the high wire as possible. And this business is a high wire. Oh my god, yes. And if you have none of the experience and the hard work and the you know all of that stuff is important 
to give you some kind of safety Mm -hmm. because otherwise if you get on a television show and you get massive exposure and you've got no experience and you tomorrow that might disappear and you've got nothing and you don't have any of the tools to work out how to get out of that hole you don't know where to go from here like it is a disaster waiting to happen to be famous just to be (gasps) famous like that is the worst part of the business that's the worst part of the business the profile and having to be exposed well none of that's real it's not real and and you can't control any of it it's just and that's why I'm so grateful that I came to this world Mm. (laughs) this weird galaxy really late yeah and I had done all of my building blocks and my foundations and my parents had split up. My father had had a really serious shooting accident. Like I, I had all of the normal life experiences that that people need to have. Mm. And and that's why I'm resilient. Yeah. That And at the end of the day, you wake up tomorrow and go, if it all goes to shit, I'm okay. You can deal with it. I am okay. And that's the best thing to have in this business, I think, because a lot of people don't have it. And to be able to go, you know what, if it all fell to shit it'd be all right is like an amazing thing because then you can feel comfortable and confident in what you're doing. It's perspective, isn't it? And don't let it define you. Don't mm. ever let it define you. I feel like we're going to get a knock on the door because I think that we've really <laughs> we talked for, for like ages. two hours? <laughs> I could just like, let's just get a bottle of wine, crack it open. I'll get some cheese. <laughs> bit we'll of pate. That's it. We'll sit here and just talk for like nine hours and you can just stuff right. the project tonight. Don't worry no, about stuff it. stuff that. Don't and, worry about it. And when you do your next podcast, which will be um, The Life and Times of Post Shania, we can... <laughs> We can yes. do a whole new chapter. Please, let right? us do that. Mm. Um, very best of luck with the One Woman Show. I can't wait to come and see it. <laughs> thank you. I'm so excited. Uh, and thank you for finally joining me on this <laughs> podcast. It has been a delight. Thank you for asking, my darling. It's been a hoot. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with the magnificent Georgie Coughlin. I hope after that chat, If you didn't love her before, you do now because she is a gem. Thank you so much for your patience over the last few weeks that the show has been on break. And to you, if you have left a review over that time, it's lovely to see the wheels still churning even when the show's on holidays. Shout out to First Class Mail for your review all the way from the United Kingdom, Magoo88, and also to Londush, who actually left a review that said, it's a great podcast, but I'm starting to think you need a penis to start somewhere. What an excellent point, Londash. Uh, This hasn't been by any means a decision that I've made to have more males than females on the show, but I am doing my very best to up the booby count. And next week's guest will help that. It is Deborah Knight, newsreader and host of the Weekend Today show. Deb shares a story about being on the ground during September 11 as a young journalist and what it was like to report from the middle of chaos. To this day, I sort of have can remember the emotions that I felt at the time because we were the press conference was happening after the attacks in the morning John Howard was giving a press conference and if the windows behind him in the hotel that we were in which is sort of adjacent to the White House had have been open you would have seen the planes going into the Pentagon behind him you know it was in it was a few kilometers away but wow. it was all you know I thought the world was ending you know it was that feeling of what is going on and when will this end there was sort of no I had no concept of what might have happened next and there were people in tears because they knew people who worked in the Pentagon and people we were evacuated from the hotel to the Australian consulate and as, as reporters, but I went into this 
it's funny how you react in various situations and I just went into this real is everyone okay mode and wanting to my cameraman are you okay make contact with your family to let them know and I was sort of reporting back because we were on air at the time for Channel 10's late news so I was reporting back on the phone about Mm. what was happening and I was a green young journo it was one of my first overseas trips that's a huge of, thing to be covering. It was a huge thing to be covering and it really did shape my career, you know, as a journalist to be on the ground covering something like that. Um, had a big impact. I hope you'll join me for that chat. Thanks again for sticking with the show. I really do appreciate it. Please, if you are enjoying it, I would love it if you left a review in iTunes or wherever else you listen. And, of course, share the love on social media or tell your friends. There's plenty of room in here for all of us. Thanks so much for listening. It is great to be back, and I will see you next week.